Welcome to the Jubilee Stratford podcast, where you can listen back on our weekly sermons, special guest speakers, and more. To find other resources and information about who we are, visit www.jubileestratford.com. If you like what you've heard here on this podcast today, don't forget to subscribe. Let's raise our hands towards Mark. Father, we bless Mark tonight. Thank you for, um, Lord, thank you for his family. Thank you for Mark coming here. And Lord, we just pray for your intention and your purpose to take place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wow. Um, you know, you guys sharing those things stirs me up. It makes me want to go back and, you know, go over some of those things. But, you know, the um, especially in Western Canada, I think our Western Hemisphere, you know, our orientation around the intellect, Christian rationalism. It steals from us the real power of the Spirit of God. And, um, and uh, you know, my whole burden here is that there are these, we're leaving, we're leaving things on the table that should be ours. And, um, you know, when Paul's praying for the Corinthians, I mean, for the Ephesians, he says, I'm praying that you get the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him that you might know what is there? This, the abundance that, you know, and he goes back in, in Ephesians. So he says that in chapter 1 and then chapter 3 comes back to what he's praying for. He, and he starts talking about the width and the height and the depth. The surpassing greatness of the power that's at work in you. And he said, listen, there's a spirit from God that is designed to reveal to you the power that's already working you. Uh, already at work. It's already there. And so if it's already there and I'm not seeing it and I'm barely scraping by, you know, with my Christianity, I'm doing it wrong. You know, and we touched on that. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If your yoke is not easy and your burden is not light, you're doing it wrong. And that's the problem. We're always doing it wrong. But we're getting it righter and righter and righter and righter and righter. And so we're coming into increasing victory. And, uh, you know, a lot of people feel condemnation when you tell them you're doing it wrong. But, um, you know, as I said the other night, when you're walking with the perfect God, get used to it. Because it's always going to be human error. And so we're leaning into some things. So... uh, Man, I, I, I ran across some scriptures here and I was thinking, man, should I double back and talk about some of these things? And maybe I will just for a second here. But is that for the cameras? <laughs> um, you know, when, when Jesus was talking to uh, the woman at the well, and this ties into what we were saying earlier today, and I'm sorry, I know some people aren't, aren't, weren't here today or last night. But when he's talking to the woman at the well, we all are familiar with that, that whole interchange. But in verse 13 of chapter 4 of John, and this ties into what we were talking, he says, Out of your innermost being are going to flow rivers of living water. He says here in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Now, is it your experience that you stop thirsting 
after you had the first drink? I mean, okay, how does that equate to my experience? I mean, I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsting. And, um, and so what, what does that really refer to? It's, it's a great question. And he goes on to say, But whoever drinks of this water shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain springing up into everlasting life. So what he's saying is, listen, when you drink of the water that I'm going to give you, it's like, it's like Jack's magic bean. Remember Jack and the beanstalk? Jack's magic bean, these are not regular beans, they're not just going to produce a bunch of beans, but when he plants that bean, it becomes something that, that, that goes up into the heavens and goes into another place, another world. And this thing that's planted suddenly gives them access to a whole other world. Now, as it turns out, there's a giant there, and that's not so good. So that's where the analogy ends. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give you something, and it's not just a drink. It's not just something to satiate your need momentarily. But there's miracle power like Jack's magic beans in this drink that is going to create something in you. And that something is a fountain. That when you get born again, you become one spirit with him. And, and so the whole journey from that time forward is learning as a believer how to drink from, pull from, and exploit that source of power that hasn't been established out here or over there at that cell meeting or at your church or only through your pastor or only through that one prayer warrior that is always the answer for you. But right within you, the kingdom of God is within you. And so the journey into maturity is shifting our source from out here to in here. Does that make sense? He said, if once you get to that place, you never thirst. And, and I discovered that early as a Christian. I realized that, you know, I love the chapels. I love the teachers. I love the anointings. But I discovered I can plant my feet right in the train of my, my dorm room. And I could begin to pray in tongues in the exact same life that flows to me through that international ministry, through that amazing worship band, I begin to experience right here. You know, uh, that's, 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 the, that's the miraculous key. What God is saying is like, this is how missions went all over the earth. Because when you go on a mission trip, when you go, you know, across the world, a hundred years ago, when they traveled to Africa, they couldn't bring their band with them. They couldn't bring their musicians. They just, they just went, but, but they had a well within them. And so they began to bring forth living water right there. And the thing that they had back there in the United States or Canada or wherever they came from or Holland, they began to plant right where they were. And that's the, that's, that's the transient power of the kingdom of God. And God is saying, listen, I'm trying to get you to the place where you realize that the kingdom of God is in you and it comes out of you. That when you come to church, there's a time where you stop coming to receive and you start coming to provide. Because you are the source. I know it's hard to digest if you weren't here this morning. Plus, you know... You're texting, and that's really distracting. No, I'm actually texting. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 that's all right. So, uh, so the question is this. We talked about this idea that, that the definitive criteria for what a child of God is, what a son or daughter is, is that you are led by the Spirit of God. That's the, that's the key 
defining criteria of the, of the children of God. Not that you go to church, not that you lift your hands, not that you even pray in tongues. But, but that you're led by the Spirit. Now, all of those things can be evidences of being led by the Spirit, right? They, they can be. But, but the, very, the, the core defining criteria is you're led by the Spirit. And so what God is trying to do in our lives is, is, is um, make that more and more the case. I discovered that um, as much as I wanted to be led by the Spirit... Occasionally, I was led by other things. You know, anybody discover that sometimes, you know? When you're driving in traffic, you know, something ungodly can come up out of your heart when somebody cuts you off. You know, and I, well, Lord, I, 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 I swore at him in the spirit. It was out of, it was the indignation of God. <laughs> you know, so you, you start to realize that there are things at work in you that are not the thing that you want. And so you begin this journey of you decreasing, in effect, and him increasing. Some people don't like that language. You know, they think, well, it means you diminishing. No, it's not you diminishing. It's you coming into fullness by yielding more and more of the ground of your life in your heart to him. And so, so that, that the, the bandwidth of your life is increasingly him and not you. So... How does, this, uh, how does this come up in our lives? Um, I, w- I want to go to a scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was looking around for a mic when we were in the worship because I thought, oh, there's a couple moments there where we could really take off. And um, it was being hidden from me, so I couldn't. And jump up, but I almost would have liked to. We're not going to go back now, but but there was a real there was a real flow. Did you, did you feel that in a couple of moments? And it's it's like imagine if worship was heaven's accompaniment to angelic movement. I mean, you, you remember that game you used to play where you when the music stops, you had to sit down, and there's less and less seats, you know. And so the music, you know, as long as the music going, you kept walking. Well, sometimes I, I get this revelation that there's a quality of worship that releases an angelic procession into the earthly realm. And that angelic procession, you know, once you tap into that vein, it just, it just somehow empowers the release of heaven on earth. And it really is, that kind of worship is a fulfillment of everything that this is about because we're, we're called to not go to heaven, but make the earth like heaven. This is what our goal is. So if you're waiting to go to heaven, uh, your orientation is wrong. We're trying to bring heaven to the earth. So anyway, there's this great passage in here, and it says this. Uh, I won't give the whole context. It's a great context, wonderful things. But of course, he's talking to people. His rebuke here, as he gets into 4 and 5, he's talking to Christians. Some have fallen away. Some have slowed their pace. Some some have gotten disillusioned about their faith. And so in chapter 5 later on, he says, By now you should be here, and you're only here. So he's being very clear that there's a procession in their maturity. And he's saying, saying, man, there are things that have set you back. And if you go back into chapter 3 and chapter 4, you see... 
that the challenges, and he, he gives these parallels, the challenges that Israel had when they were in the wilderness are exactly the same kind of challenges that you have now. And they're all about faith and unbelief. And as we talked the other day, the faith and unbelief issue is, is a matter of where your heart is leaning. Let me just quickly qualify that. Unbelief is not no belief. Unbelief is belief in something other than the source you're supposed to be believing in. Does that make sense? So unbelief is confidence in something other than, right? Uh, Paul says, we are the circumcision of God who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, he's talking about himself. I mean, he's saying, listen, this is who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to put no confidence in the flesh. So the question is, and this is what we touched on again and again, what do I put confidence in the flesh? What are the ways I put confidence in the flesh? And we think, oh, no, not me. Not me. I don't, I don't do that. I don't ever do that. Well, Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, I have to repeat this analogy because for those that weren't here, but I was saying the heart is a valve that leans uh, one way or another. It either pulls from the source of life or it pulls from other sources of strength. And it's kind of like that single nozzle kitchen tap or bathroom tap. And basically, there's there's a tube of water that goes up. It's hot. And there's cold water that feeds on this side maybe and hot water on this side. And... And underneath that handle, there's a ball and an opening in the ball. And if you lean that opening this way, it lets in more hot water. And if you lean it this way, it, 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 it brings cold water, right? And so that's how you get cold and hot. Well, your heart is like that. Your heart leans toward God or towards the flesh. It's always leaning one way or another. And what happens is in life, you think you're a believer. Oh, I'm believing God. I'm believing God. But situations, scenarios, challenges trigger which way you lean. And so in one circumstance, you might be, you know, I'm re- I really have a lot of faith in this area. But in other areas, you might suddenly find yourself drawing from the flesh. Now, I didn't think that was really true about me. I thought it was you know, just other people's problems. But basically, this is what this whole passage in Hebrews 4 and 5 is about. 3, 4, and 5. It's about unbelief. And he's saying, listen, there's a promise of entering his rest. There's a promise of a level of victory. There's a promise of, you know, appropriating the competency of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you have to lean into it. You have to believe. And, uh, and he says, and, the, and the, 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 the dividing point between what causes the increase of, him, of faith in your life is his voice. And so he says, listen, he's speaking now and be careful that you hear. Because the word of God, when God is speaking, he's doing something in you. So when he get over to Hebrews chapter 4, he's describing what happens when, the, when God speaks to you. You know, we all know this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word, right? So this, he's referencing this. That's in Romans, Romans uh, chapter 11. Is it? Do you know? Yeah, I think it's Romans 11. Anyway, or 10, somewhere back there. But he's referencing that idea. 
But he, he's saying, listen, faith that you need is created by the word of God. So the word of God is going in there. So as a young Christian, I thought, man, I need to read the Bible then. I need to read, you know, and sing scriptures, you know, sing songs that have scriptures in them. So, you know, I had the Maranatha songs and all that during those days. And we'd sing scripture songs and, and I'm reading the Bible all the time and that's great. But, but the, the word, it's the rhema that he's talking about, not the logos. The rhema, when God speaks, his voice causes something to happen in you. And so I think, oh, I just need to get the word in me and then it produces faith. But here's the thing. God, God wants to understand how is faith created in you. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever watched that show? Some of you probably watched that show, How It's Made, you know, on, on PBS or something like that. One of those shows. It's like it, anybody interested in those things? I'm always asking those questions. How do they do that? You know, how do they get the peanut butter in the chocolate or the caramel? Isn't there a commercial about that? You know, how are pencils made? And, and I'm, so I'm always asking, I'm asking, okay, how does this work? How is faith created? Well, you know what it says right here. Hebrews 4.12, that verse tells you exactly how faith is created in you. So the word goes in there and we think, oh, it's just this magic thing. I consume it and then it produces faith. Well, that's like saying when you eat a hamburger, it just, it goes in and produces energy. Well, between it going in and producing energy, there's an entire process, isn't there? Right? You know, chemicals and amino acids and, you know, whatever that, you know, converting this thing into usable substance for your body. In the same way, the voice of the Lord, when he speaks to you, it goes in and it creates faith. But how does he do it? This is very important because we need to understand uh, what it is that God is doing when he's increasing our faith. Because if we're going to lean into the spirit of God, right, we need to know how is that, what, what is missing that I'm not doing that? Why do I keep leaning into the flesh? Why do I keep trusting other things? You know, fear is trust. You know, fear is belief. When you fear, you believe something that hasn't happened. Did you know that? Fear is a form of belief. It's unbelief because it's not belief in God, but it's belief in something else. And not only that, it's belief in something invisible. So, he says here, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. So the first thing that God does with those word, when his word comes in, it divides between soul and spirit. Divides between what overcomes the world and what does not. Let me say this again. I've referenced this. But whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. I remember I was a part of a church and it was great. Things were going really good. Then there was a division. The church fell apart. Bad things happened, and somebody said, Oh, isn't that terrible? Look what the devil did to God's church. And I said, Yeah, yeah it's so terrible. And you know, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, Yeah, that wasn't my church. Well, it was partially my church. But the church that I'm building will prevail against the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I'm building. And so anything that's built 
that doesn't overcome darkness has a weakness in it. That means somewhere in the construct of a ministry, in the construct of our relationships, in the construct of the the church government, or how we executed ministries, there's something in there that's vulnerable to the gates of hell. Does that make sense to you? Like this is the kind of absolute language that's in the scripture. All right, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. So we're saying we're doing this thing. It's so powerful. It's going to overcome the world that it doesn't overcome the world. And so either God is a liar or that thing wasn't exactly what it could have been. Are you guys listening? I, I feel like you're not believing me. Are you with me? Okay, okay. See, what this does is we start leaning into, Lord, I want the version that overcomes everything. I want the version that that just keeps on chugging on. Do you have a faith that never stops? Do you have a faith that's up and down? Do you have do you get discouraged? Do you get overcome with weakness? Do you want to quit? Do you want to write off people? Do you you know the the love never fails. The things that come from God in their purest form overcome everything. And so what God is saying here is listen. The word of God comes to separate between the things that are from below and the things that are from above. From the things that come from your soul and the things that come from spirit. Jesus said, whatsoever spirit is spirit and whatsoever is flesh is flesh. So our journey is simply this. God is going through your life and you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm really happy, God. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do this thing for you. And then he, you do this thing and he comes and say, yeah, that wasn't me. I remember the first year of our ministry. I was, um, I, had, I had taught in a Bible college. I traveled all over the place. And then we started our ministry and I, I, I traveled all over the province. I had one young child. She was eight months old. We took her everywhere we went. And I was in a meeting. A guy from, named Eddie Trout from South Africa was in this meeting. He was speaking. And he's, and he's going along and he's prophesying, saying some things. And all of a sudden he stops. He starts talking about finances. And all of a sudden he says, you know, sometimes we don't even take offerings because offerings are our source. God's our source. And, you know, normally when you have that kind of faith talk, I'm right in there and say, you know, because I believe God. And I'd say, yeah, amen, brother. But you know what happened right in the moment when he said offerings aren't our source. God's our source. That became a rhema to me right in that moment. And it came right into my heart. And suddenly, in a split second, I saw the whole year in one glance. I saw all of the traveling I did, all the churches I went to, and immediately I felt the weight and the exhaustion of doing things that God had not called me to do. How how can that happen? I don't know. That's just the Word of God. God gives you a... The spirit of revelation comes in and he shows me and I'm thinking, I'm looking at my, I'm seeing the year and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I, I, he said, I didn't tell you to go to any of those churches. I told you to write. And I like, well, yeah, but nobody will support a, a guy sitting at home writing bad articles. <laughs> you know, so like I was filling in the gaps. I was, I was doing 
what needed to be done so to mobilize the church to see that what I was doing was justifiable, it was legitimate, and that and that then they would support it. <laughs> and so so the Lord said, So in other words, you feared not having enough money, and so out of that fear you did. Oh, now that you put it that way, yeah, I guess I did. And I'm I'm sitting there, I'm kind of Shocked. I get shocked a lot when God comes in and pulls the covers back on my heart. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm thinking, I thought, I thought I was such an amazing man of faith. And I didn't say anything to Wendy, and I'm just kind of reeling at this thing. It's like, what am I supposed to do here, God? What am I, what am I supposed to do? I mean, ah. And so I, I know he well, stopped calling pastors. And it was funny because right on the tail end of this, I was... The pastors I was calling to ask to come to their churches started getting a little annoyed at me. And I was thinking, what's wrong with them? There's, there's no grace in it. Not only, not only was I going to churches I wasn't supposed to go, go to, I had this newsletter and I was writing bad articles and I was trying to get people to sign up for the mailing list. And so, you know, I mean, I sold that thing like crazy. I said, yeah, it's free. You know, I hardly said any. It's free. It's, you, I, did I say it's free? Because I was thinking, you know, if I could get a thousand people on my mailing list and then maybe an average of, of uh, 20% will give it an occasional or a regular gift. and So it's like, you don't believe me at all. You believe in the laws of mathematics. You're, you're, you're playing, you know, roulette here. You're, you're doing the numbers game. You're counting cards. This is not faith. This is not obedience. This is not what I asked you to do. And you know, the, the shocking thing, I thought I was the greatest faith person in the world. You know, because I didn't have a job and I was telling people, we're living by faith, we're walking by faith. Don't got any money. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and contemplating what this should mean. And we had a little money that was given to us by Wendy's grandma. And I said to Wendy, I said, you know, I think we need to take that money. We, we need to give it away. And it was pretty sizable amount, especially back in 1982 or whatever it was. And so we gave the money and um, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm you know, we're, we're at a place, I'm looking at the numbers and I'm looking at Wendy's EI because she's on EI and I think it's running out in a month and we got to tell, okay, if I, if I do this and this and this, you know, we can make it maybe another month. And suddenly I realized I'm doing it again. I'm calculating. I'm I'm, I'm striving. I'm working in my own strength to make this happen. And, and I, gosh darn it, when am I going to stop doing this? Like, what is, what is going on here? I thought, you know, I thought it was this great man of faith. God comes and says, no, there's, you, there's a lot of fear in you, a lot of unbelief. And so here I do this thing of faith, and I'm still back striving. And I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. Then a couple of days later, I'm, and I'm feeling this anxiety of the thing, and I'm, I'm carrying the burden of, oh, and I'm realizing, even though I'm not doing anything, I'm still carrying this invisible burden of this thing. I'm still striving in this invisible way that I feel inside. Finally, I said, I just, something in me just kind of snapped one night. I just felt it snap. And it was just like, whatever it was, I suddenly landed on God one night. I just landed on God. 
And I had said to God earlier that day, we need almost $1,000, which was an exorbitant amount of money back in 1982 for somebody like me. So we needed almost $1,000. And immediately when, I, when I, I, I literally, my heart shifted into faith. It just shifted. I felt it snap into line. And I knew it was done. I just knew that the money's coming. So my wife went to bed. I went out and sat on my, my porch in Edmonton, 11 p.m., 12 p.m., 1 a.m. I'm going to bed. I don't know when this money's coming, but it's coming. I wasn't dissuaded. I just thought, I was hoping somebody would come up and right there with a, you know, a check or something. Anyway, the next day in the mail, there was a check for $983.62. It was really interesting. The guy who gave it, sent it, it was the first time he'd given me anything. And about 10 years later, he said, you know, I remember giving that money and I was going to give you 1000 but the Lord said to me, don't give a thousand, give a little bit less than a thousand. Because I had said to the Lord, I need almost a thousand. And, and the Lord wanted me to know that this, almost, this was an almost a thousand dollar money amount. Not that I should have asked for more, but the reality is I got exactly what I was believing for. Exactly. And uh, now the lesson in this is, is, is the dividing between soul and spirit. Whatsoever is born of the spirit. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Whatsoever is flesh is flesh. And whatever is spirit is spirit. And what's born of God's spirit overcomes the world. And it, it, and it was my first significant lesson saying, listen... Mark, you need to understand everything you need to do that's going to overcome to the world has to be born from the Spirit. Your sincerity, your emotional proclivities, your passions, your, your anxiety, your human caring, all of that is nothing unless it's energized by a passion that's born in the Spirit. Anything in your soul, any strength in your soul, it can come along for the ride so long as it's in the back seat. Now, what kind of language is that unless God comes and divides between soul and spirit? See, I didn't even know I had those fears. I didn't even know those things were in there. And I'm thinking, okay, what else is in there? Well, a little bit before this or after this, I can't remember. The Lord did this thing in me. And um, hold on a second, I lost all my. And uh, I had a, some friends who had gone over to Sweden to to a Bible school, Alf Ekman's Bible school over in Sweden. Anybody heard of Alf Ekman? Anyway, he was a, he used to be a great apostolic leader. I won't tell you what he's doing now because it's sad. But <laughs> anyway. Uh, they came back, and we were in our apartment in Edmonton, and uh, I was, I was uh, my wife and I was our first apartment, and we were talking about the things of the Lord. And man, I just began to feel this welling up of the Spirit, and I thought, I thought let's go and pray. So we go into my bedroom, and we start praying, and I'm, I'm kneeling by the side of the bed, and I'm praying in tongues. And um, 
I'm, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm just feeling the presence of the Lord and all kinds of great things. And all of a sudden I start noticing as I'm praying, and I'm praying fervently and loud, just like I told you I, I do, right? I'm praying really fervently and loud, but I notice my, my buddy is praying quiet. He's praying quiet and slow. And as he's praying quiet and slow, his quiet, slow praying is interrupting my loud, fast praying. And, uh, and suddenly it strikes me, well, that's unusual. You know, how is it that his slow, quiet praying is trumping my fervent, loud praying? So I thought, I thought, okay, let me just pull back for a second here. So I quieted myself. And I realized the presence of the Lord that I'd been feeling was completely gone. It was gone. And I, I was sitting there thinking, what's that about, Lord? And he said, he said to me, he said, your emotions cap the moving of the Spirit in you. Your soul is so dominant in you that as soon as the Spirit of God starts to flow in you, your soul takes over and uh, counterfeits the experience of the Spirit and you end up following a different line. I thought, how often does this happen? All the time. And I thought, well, how is this even possible? And he began to show me that that, and this was the beginning of a new journey in my life where it began to prune me of all my emotions, or rather, my dependency upon emotions. My wife says he overdid it. Because <laughs> she doesn't think I cry enough. But anyway, that's another issue. I'm starting to cry more, if you want to know. <laughs> but, uh, and I realized, so I, I, re- I replayed the whole thing. And I felt the presence of the Lord, and then I got excited. I, get, I mean, I began to get, you know, uh, just the sense of, oh, hallelujah. And so the fervency of my praying at some point became overtaken by my excitement about the presence of the Lord and stopped being about the presence of the Lord. When you are in worship... And there's beginning to be a presence. And sometimes your favorite song kicks in. And you oh, I really like this song. Sometimes what's happening is a song, because it's related to a memory, that God did something in you back at a certain time, all of a sudden kicks in with its own energy, its own strength. And suddenly it overwhelms the anointing of the actual presence of the Lord. Your response of your spirit to God becomes usurped by your emotional response because of past memories of great moments in the Lord. Does that make sense? And so the word of the Lord, when it's coming, is to divide between soul and spirit. Because if we're going to be people that birth things out of the Spirit of God, if we're going to be people that are doing things from the invisible source that is God at work in us, we have to be able to comprehend the difference between a feeling and a not feeling. I remember I was at a church in Red Deer a number of years ago, and I was teaching about this. And uh, um, 
we were at the time I was I was teaching. I said, listen, the reason why many churches have no young people in them anymore is because Saul has usurped the place of the spirit in the churches, and everything that's happening in the church revolves around a memory that only older people in the congregation have. And so the litmus test that that you're actually not working in an old memory is that there's something that engages the next generation. And the proof that what it is is spirit, because spirit engages every generation, but your memory of a moment that you had 10 years ago or even five years ago that's attached to a song, when you sing that song, you can say, oh, can you feel the presence of the Lord in that? And there's no presence of the Lord. There's only your memory of what God did five years ago during that song. So it just so happened, we're sitting there in worship, and I'm teaching on this stuff. We're in the second session, and we're singing, uh, what is it? It's um, that Brian Dirksen song. What is it? Uh, not Refiner's Fire, but the other one that was really, I call out to you again. Yeah. Faithful one, so unchanging. That one? So we're singing that. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, I sort of kicked into this. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there even any anointing right now? I mean, it, it wasn't, we're at the stage where it was a now becoming an old song. So it, it still had some residual presence. But what happens, and it's not the song's fault. It's what we tap into in the song. You remember what we were talking about earlier? Is that every song, like the speech of Jesus, there's the speech of Jesus, and then there's the word that's in the speech. He says to the Pharisees, the reason why you can't understand my speech is because you can't hear my word. All you're doing is interacting with the the language around it, but you're not getting the life of it. You're not getting the meaning of it because the meaning is in the word, not in the speech. Because this is this is spirit. The words I speak to are spirit and their life. And none of the mechanisms that interpret spirit are at work in you. All you've got is your minds and you're interpreting speech. So you're missing the, the, the presence. You're missing the anointing. You're missing everything about that. You can do the same thing with a song. And you can do that with a song that has anointing, and you can do that a song that's been, been drained of all its anointing because it's so old, and because nobody's tapping into the anointing anymore. They're only tapping into the memory that they had when it had anointing in their life. That's why people stop coming generationally. Because you have confused your feeling about a moment in time. With the present manifestation of God. Father, I pray that you would release us, Father, from the tyranny of our own souls that is stealing breakthrough moments from us. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for a spirit of revelation. Here's the thing like, are we really willing? You know, are we, I mean, are, do we really, are we willing to be pruned in our soul? Because, see, when, when, when I used to have this discussion, not with songs for me, but I, I would talk to generations of, of people who were singing songs that I think, why are you singing these songs? 
You know, I, mean, I remember when I first came to our church, they would sing these great anointed songs, these contemporary life, full of life songs, and then they'd sing a song that, that was, you know, empty. And I said to my worship leader, I said, why are you singing these, this other song? Why would you sing that song today? Well, you know, some of the old people like it. I said, I don't care what the old people like. I don't care what I like. We are singing something the Lord likes. We're looking for worship in spirit and in truth. I'm not here to worship God in a way that's meaningful to me. I'm here to worship God in a way that's meaningful to him. If worship is about him at all, then it shouldn't necessarily be meaningful to me in the least. Because it's for him. Is it for him? I know that's hard because, well, yeah, well, but what, what about the people? You mean the people who are supposed to be worshipers of God? I, I feel like I'm hitting something in the spirit. We were talking about this earlier today, and, and I noticed during the renewal, and I had, I, I mean, we began, I never actually made it to Toronto during that season. The Lord wouldn't let me come, but suddenly all the manifestations that were happening in Toronto started happening in all of our ministry. I remember going to a guy's church in Calgary, and we had, I mean, we just, we just had an amazing, they were taking 25 of their people to Toronto the next week. Well, we had meetings the week before, and they had a full-blown Toronto moment in Calgary. I mean, uh, it, was, it, it was stunning things. But, uh, but I, started, I started noticing that the aim of people in, in, their, in their moments as they're seeking the Lord is to have a great cathartic moment emotionally. And what had happened is I started watching people... And I started noticing that there were some that were seeking a moment experientially, and there were some that were speaking the Lord. So I, I, I didn't understand this, so I just sort of watched their lives over a period of months. And I thought regularly that the ones that were just seeking a moment began to implode. And they began to, like they began to get addicted to higher and higher moments. And I'm thinking, okay, there's something taking the place in our lives. It's not the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with the movement. It's our, our orientation because things that are soul-based are more concrete than things that are spirit-based. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Soulish things anybody can get. An emotional feeling, anybody can relate to that. But something that's in the spirit, it's it's less tangible. Does that make sense? So he says here, and again, we're coming back to, I want to get to the place where I'm leaning into God because all of the, all of the capacities of the Holy Spirit, you know, Paul says, you know, how did you get saved? How was the Spirit of God manifested? By, by the works of law, the law or faith? Faith is the key that causes these things to be released. And faith is dependency on God. God, we, we trust you, but we actually don't know what that means. And so the work of the, of the Word of God is to come into our hearts 
and begin to separate between soul and spirit. And this is the next thing it does. Look at verse 12 again, the last part. Am I in the right? Oh, there it is. It's a divider between soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Remember there was another stage in my life where God was, and I mean, he was eviscerating me with his word. He was drawing a line and he was saying, listen, I'm going to make it clear to you the kind of ministry that's going to overcome the world and the kind of ministry that's just designed to make you feel better about yourself. I'm going to separate between these two. And at the time, I, I had uh, transitioned in my phase where suddenly I had lost all my ability to, to be zealous. So suddenly I wasn't so excited about going to prayer. I, I tried to fast. I couldn't fast anymore. I mean, for somebody who was fasting all the time, this was really hard. But, but uh, I, I just couldn't fast. I, I could hardly pray. I'd go to a prayer meeting and I'd fall asleep. I'd, I'd get up in the morning and say, I'm going to fast today. Today I'm going to fast because yesterday we had a speaker and he said, you can't expect the anointing of God if you can't fast three days a week and pray four hours a day. I'm going to do this. Get up in the morning feeling all condemned. So I think, I'm going I'm to fast today for God. You watch. My favorite meal is hamburgers. And the cafeteria only had one good meal that they made. And it was Hamburgers. Once you know it, every day that I decided to fast, I'm going by the cafeteria on the way to my room and they're serving hamburgers. I mean, that's bad. I can't hardly resist that. But here's what's worse. I've already paid for that hamburger. <laughs> and I'm not getting my money back. <laughs> it's a two-fold sword, man. It's cutting both ways. My Scottish cheapness and my love of hamburgers... And so I'd end up breaking the fast, and and uh, and I'm 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 thinking, oh gosh, what's wrong with me? You know why 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 can't I do this? And I remember I was feeling shamed and condemned all the time. And God is actually trying to get me to lean on the Spirit, lean into grace, but. You know, what had happened is I was doing so good with my prayer and my Bible reading. All the way, I started thinking I was great. And you know what happens? It's God's resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And the proud have a confidence in their own works. So what had happened, I had started over here. But I started, the more I successful I was, the more I thought, took start taking credit for it. Next thing you know, I'm pulling from my own strength to do more than the Lord even required of me because everybody else is impressed and I'm even more impressed. And suddenly, boom, hits me. God says, okay, enough of that. I'm going to deal with the pride in your life. I'm going to starve you out. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do anything. Well, I'm out here. I'm doing street evangelism now and I'm feeling like the worst Christian in the world. And I see this guy. He's a homeless guy. And I'm thinking... I'm feeling shame, feeling guilt, all kinds of things. And I thought, I know. I'm going to give him my last $5. So I give him my last $5. This is from the Lord. <laughs> I give him the $5. Just is leaving my, 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 my hand. And I say, this is from the Lord. I hear the Lord say, no, it wasn't. That was kind of a waste. 
I mean, it's still good for him. But he said, that's a total dead work. Do you know what a dead work is? It's not a living one. The blood of Jesus is given to cleanse your conscience from dead works. That is, the impulse to do something out of the energy of your soul for the sake of alleviating guilt is a dead work. Works that are alive. See, the the antonym of dead work is the word in Hebrews 4.12. That's Hebrews 9 something. Hebrews 4.12 is the word of God is living and active. When the word of God goes in you, when God says do this, it produces energy to do the thing. Guilt also provides energy. Except it produces works then the eyes of God are useless. They're dead. And so I'm sitting there, giving this guy my last five bucks, and God says, yeah, that's a dead work, essentially. I think, how do I get my five bucks back? And he's, what is he doing? He's saying, listen, Mark, these works, I'm trying to wean you from anything that's not born of God. And in your soul are all kinds of strengths, all kinds of impulses, all kinds of things that give life to works. Not the least of which is shame. How about pride? How many things, Mark, are you doing to impress people around you? If the catalyst for you to say hallelujah is to appear spiritual, if the catalyst for you to go to a prayer meeting is, you know, I'm going to impress the pastor. If the catalyst for you to evangelize is to feel worthy of God's blessing, the impetus for all those things is not born of God. It's born of you. See, that's the, that kind of ministry is spoiling the witness of the church because there's no power in it. It's a form of godliness. It's an imitation. It's a version, but it has none of me in it. One day the Lord says to me, he says, Mark, all your works praise you. All my works praise me. Have you ever read that in Psalms? It says, all thy works praise thee. That was the King James Version. All thy works praise thee. And the Lord says, yeah, all my works praise me. All your works praise you. So Mark, let me divide between soul and spirit. If you want to be led by the spirit, we've got to start cutting off all these things that are feeding actions in your life that are leading to dead works. Jesus said this. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? We always think, oh, yeah, I got loads of faith. That's what I thought. I said, yeah, maybe not too much. <laughs> but it's okay because, you know what? We are his workmanship. And when we got saved and he claimed us and he laid hold of us and he put that seed in us, he he knew that there was all this other terrain, there's all kinds of things growing up, but the seed that was in there, he's just he's gonna keep this weed enough, that thing's gonna start to grow. It's gonna start to create behaviors, and it's start gonna consume the land of your heart until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's gonna start snuffing out everything else in your life. That is the process of this thing. 
And he determined that he was going to do it. So, you know, there's no embarrassment. There's no shame. There's no disappointment that, that I did all these things. I mean, there was a little shock the first time around when you think, I'm so pure. And then God says, yeah, about that. And I told you the other, did I tell you guys about the, the glory of the Lord coming in my room on the love? Yeah, I talked about that this morning, right? Yes? I was reading through 1 Corinthians 13, the love? Okay. How are we going to be let, if, if the key characteristic of being a child of God is being led by the Spirit, we need to do two things. We need to increase the forces that, that catalyze activity out of the Spirit, and we need to diminish the forces that catalyze activity that's not born of the Spirit. That's exactly what John the Baptist meant when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. There's two sources in our lives. There's a fountain of life and there's a cistern made by our own hands. And like Israel, our natural default is to to do this one. And when we do this one, we comfort ourselves that, oh, yeah, it is hard and it's not easy, but I'm doing the right thing. And God is saying, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If your yoke is not easy and your burden is not light, then there's still work to be done pruning away your own efforts. Do you know what the very definition of entering his rest is? Do you know, do you know how he defined it in Hebrews chapter 3, right near the end? He said, or maybe it's chapter 4, right at the beginning. It says, we need to cease from our works as God did from his. It's a prophetic picture that entering into God's rest, which is the effect of of faith, the effect of your heart leaning into him is all of a sudden you are operating in a grace that enables you to do the thing that you're supposed to do, but with ease. Entering his rest is leaving your labors, your sweat and tears. It's leaving the curse of Genesis where he said, from this time forward, only in the sweat of your brow will you bring anything good forth from the earth. That's the curse that we've been under since day one with Adam. And the gospel is, I'm going to give you another power to bring forth works, but it's not out of the sweat of your brow. It's out of, the, out of my life at work inside of you. That's, a, that's the whole journey. And maturity is less of me, less of my works, less of my effort, and more of his power, and therefore more ease. I had a, and it applies to every realm, intercession, prophetic, finances, so on and so on and so on. In Rick Joyner's book, I think The Sword and the Torch, he's at this scene where he's, by this river, and he knows it's the last tributary of the river of life. And, and they're surrounded on every side. It's like he's in Lord of the Rings, and orc armies are all around him, you know. 
And, uh, and he's just, they're surrounded. And he's, he's there, him, the army is him and this little girl. And the little girl, I think, is the church. And he's, he's looking and he's thinking, this is the last access we have to the river of life. If we lose this, you know, game over. And all of a sudden, he sees this turmoil on the hill. Anybody read this? There's this turmoil on the hill. And, and he's looking, he's like, hallelujah, reinforcements are coming. This is reinforcements, this is going to be so great. And, and they, they hear the noise, the tumult, and, and the, the, the orc army or whatever, the demonic army is fighting. And, you know, but he's, it says, he says that suddenly it's like a sea, the sea before Moses, just separating. And they're about to see this army, this great glorious army that's coming off. And all of a sudden down the hill come two old men. And they're just sauntering down, and they're chatting with each other. And there's arrows going at them, and spears being chucked at them, and they're just sort of casually deflecting away every arrow, every spear. And they're walking along and chatting like they're on a stroll in the park. And I just absolutely love that picture because I remember the early years. Oh, God, I'm going to be your warrior. I'm going to be your intercessory giant. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to... But, you know, so hard. You know, I got there's a counterattack and principalities and powers that are weighing on me and they're hurting me. This is so hard. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. So should I just quit? No, no, no. You need to do it that way. Because right now, that's what you believe is the only way it can be done. But eventually, you're going to get so tired of doing it this way that you're going to come to the end of your strength. And as soon as you come to the end of your strength, I'm going to reveal to you grace. That's a prophetic picture of God's weak. He's talking, you know, when he's talking to Ephesians, I mean... uh, Hebrews 3, he's talking about the rest that I've promised. And the rest is represented in the Sabbath of God. The Sabbath of God is the seventh day. Seven is important because it's the the number of completion. But it's also important that the number of six, which is six days, is the number of man. When you get past man, then you come into grace. When you actually, you labor for six days and on the seventh day you rest because six days is a metaphorical number of how long it takes for you to become convinced that your strength is not cutting it. So there I am in my apartment kind of stressing about money and, you know, and all of a sudden I am so tired of wringing my hands inside my heart and Plotting and thinking about this, and, and all of a sudden I, I'm done. Boom. And I was done. And I knew it. I entered into rest. I entered into a seventh day. Not only did I get that $983.62, but next month I got a check from a guy for $1,000. The month after that, I got a check for that same guy for $1,000. The month after that, I got, I mean, that was astronomical money for me. What happened? I went from leaning on the mechanics of ministry, leaning on the, the laws of mathematics, leaning on how many pastors I can exploit to get an invitation to their church in the hopes of getting $10 more than the gas it's going to cost me to get there. <laughs> you know, all this effort, all this labor, little returns. Entering his rest, when you start doing it 
things in faith, when the abilities of the Holy Spirit begin to release in your life, there's little effort, great gain. When it's you, there's great effort, little gain. And the scales are tipping. Tipping, tipping, tipping. More and more. Because there's resources. And I'll finish with this one story. Because at the end of the day, what we're longing for is an effective manifestation of God that changes cities. Right? I mean, we, we want to bring manifestations of the glory and the presence of God that really slays the enemy. I mean, the picture we have is of Israel going into the promised land with manifestations of God that, that lay every other God barren and destroy the works of darkness. That's, that's our goal. We're, we're, we're going in that direction, right? So a friend of mine had a dream that he shared with us a couple of times, and I've been sharing this wherever I go because I love this dream. But in the dream, and I might not tell it perfect, so if you know this guy and if you've heard the dream, um, I'm sorry for getting it wrong. But basically, he's on, he's, he calls it, I'm in the bosom of God. I mean, he's sitting on the throne room. He's in the dream. He's with God right there in, in, in his presence and on his lap. And all of a sudden, he sees a room over to the side that leads behind the throne and he gets off and he goes into that room and when he goes into that room he sees weapons on the walls all around this room he said it was weapons of mass destruction like kingdom weapons he said he wanted to touch one but it was like rippling with power and he thought if he touched it he might die and and he's thinking I've never even seen any of these. I didn't even know what these are. I didn't even know these existed. So he comes out from the back and he comes up to the Lord and he says, and Jesus is standing there or sitting there and he says, did you know those were there? (laughs) And Jesus said to him, yes, we know. Yes, we know. There's no lack of the supply of God. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling of strongholds. There are weapons that overcome the enemy. And there are efforts that do not. The ones that are born in the spirit do. The ones that are born of God do. And we are being weaned from anything that does not win the day. And it's okay to be in a journey. It's all right. Because we're learning to be led by the Spirit of God. And it's a gradual thing. I can't tell you how many times that sword has penetrated my heart. And showed me that, yeah, this thing you did right there. This thing right there. I mean, it's gotten so bad. Let me just, one more thing. It's gotten so many times. I remember I I was in a meeting and there was this influential leader. This is like eight years ago. This used to happen all the time. And I remember saying something, and as soon as I said it, I knew that those thing, the thing I said was calculated to impress him. As soon as it went out of my mouth, I just, God said, evaluated on the spot. That was not me. And he said, furthermore, he knew that was not me. 
Isn't that kind of embarrassing? You're being pretentious, and all God says, yeah, you're the only one that didn't know you were being pretentious. <laughs> okay, heal me of that, Lord. I don't want to do that again. So there's this great work that's going on in our lives. And it could be sped up or it could be slowed down based on whether we want it. Oh God, I want to be the circumcision of God that puts no confidence in the flesh. Do you want to do that? Father, I believe... I said when we started this school here, I said there's a number of things that God is going to increase in your life. One of them is perception. Perception. If you grab it right now, just believe for it. There is an ability of the Holy Spirit to perceive the difference between human strength and what's born of God in a new way coming in your lives. That there's a new measure and tangible evidence that even just like I said, there are going to be moments in the weeks to come when words are coming out of your mouth. And as soon as you speak them, you will, you will feel the insincerity of your own words. That's a good thing. You're going to feel the human calculations behind them to try and gain favor and change your status with them in the earth. God is laying bare all political maneuvering. All efforts to obtain position and status that are born of the flesh, they will stop being fruitful if they were ever fruitful right now in your life, and you want that to happen. Father, let things fall to the ground that need to fall to the ground in our lives. God, we... We are victims of your grace, Lord, and we continue to believe that we are your workmanship, created in you for living works, works that overcome the earth. We are tired of laboring in our own strength for meager results, for meager rewards, for meager advances. Oh, God, more of you, less of me. May that be... From this day forward, God, the core cry of our heart. More of you, less of me. Hallelujah. 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 Shana, let's just pray in the Spirit for a minute. Some of you, when I was talking about uh, the emotional stuff earlier and the confusion between things that are born of your sentiments and your passions, for a few of you that caused a lot of consternation inside and some confusion. Don't worry about it. Because... Uh, the, the Lord is going to make it clear what it is, where it is, when it is. All you have to do right now is to say, Lord, I receive. I want your work in the emotional area of my life. I want to be delivered 
from short-term experiences in order to come into long-term um, habitation. So, Lord, right now, I break the power of any confusion, break the power of any uh, consternation. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, any condemnation, any attacks on the validity of your life, your, your existence, anything the enemy would leverage on any of these things that that would cause you to be discouraged in Jesus' name. We just lift that off of you. Hmm. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Let the weight of your presence come on us. Holy Spirit. Sefechalo canalishan, Tranil kotravis talkina teno, Aquani zenafat. Lord, we just release peace right now. That a tangible peace come on us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Does anybody get pain in the body right now? Any pain? Is it a secret? Or you... All right. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you know. Sometimes there, uh, we 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 hear these names of oh, this is that, and somehow it gives validity to things that are on us. And I want to say that this pain is not valid, even if there is a rationale behind it. Well, I use that wrist a lot. No, that wrist was made to be used a lot. No excuse for pain. Lord, let grace flow in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I think we'll call it a night. If you're interested in the books, they're, they're here. They might be out on a table or something tomorrow. We'll see. But uh, if you're interested, come and see us up here after. That's great. Thank you, Mark. Um, how, ma how many have been challenged tonight? Do you know, um, Mark, I just really appreciate your, your, uh, your vulnerability and just uh, and honesty, you know, um, you know, to share a lot of the stuff that you've gone through and... Um, I remember one time, I think it was a few years ago, well, actually it would be over 10 years ago, we had Larry Pearson here, and he was doing an activation in spirit. He was really helping us to try and identify the difference between our emotions and our spirit. And sometimes 
How many have ever found it challenging to kind of decipher between the two? And I remember we were, he was encouraging us just to walk around the room. And, um, and I was walking around, and I came to the spot, and I closed my eyes. And I immediately saw myself inside of the Michelin. Uh, have you ever seen that Michelin mascot, that big puffy suit, you know? And I felt like the Lord said, that's your soul. I want you to unzip it. And so, um, so I took the zipper, and I unzipped it from the top to the bottom. And as soon as I unzipped it, my spirit man fell out of my suit. And because my, my soul realm had been so inflated, it actually inhibited my spirit from growing in strength. And it was like this little baby fawn that fell out onto the ground that could barely walk. And when I opened my eyes, I had this one split flash in the physical where I could see all the angels in the room. And it really overwhelmed me. And I felt like the Lord was saying that the weakness of your spirit, man is so much greater than any strength that your soul realm can ever produce. And it, and it just really hit my heart in realizing that, you know, we can have a lot of great ideas, concepts. You touched on memories, experiences that really affect, you know, just our realm of emotion and thoughts. And, 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 but to be able to discern between the two, like it's the spirit of God that cuts between the bone and the flesh, you know, the flesh and the spirit, and just that precision. And the thing that I was really encouraged by you tonight, Mark, was that even in our places of immaturity in our growth, it doesn't exclude us from the love of the Father. You know, regardless of where any one of us is at in our journey, you know, like, because I feel like, I, like I'm still one of the biggest students in this because I feel so small and insignificant in the sense of what God wants to accomplish, you know, for us in this region, that I, I don't want to come to this mindset of arrival, you know? And, um, and so if it means going low, if it means saying, God, you know, strip of us, strip of me, anything that I co-depend on in my emotions or in my thought, that, that's a false strength that's not from you, Lord, come and just... You know, bring that Holy Spirit that, that will just divide between the emotional realm and the spirit realm. And um, so anyway, thank you so much, Mark. I just, uh, I honor you as a teacher and um, as someone to come and challenge and, and stretch um, because those are good things for us. And uh, so anyway, we're looking forward to tomorrow morning. We start at 10 o'clock. Everyone's welcome. Again, if you want to come and, and uh, join in in the intercession at 9.15... Um, I just feel like we could get a good fire on, get a good rumble happening, and just see what God wants to do with tomorrow morning. So, Lord, just bless our time tomorrow. Bless each person as they sleep tonight, Father. I pray that, that you would just give us angelic visitation through the night. Release dreams over us. I pray that our spirit, even though our body goes to sleep, that our spirits would be so energized through the night that they would have these encounters with God that when we wake up, Father, that we would grow even deeper into the revelation of your wisdom and knowledge, Jesus. So bless this evening and tomorrow. Amen.